Welcome to Your Torah, a 36-week journey into the world of the 63 books of the Mishnah, 18 minutes at a time. A project of Jofa UK, designed as a special invitation to engage in Torah and make it yours. This episode of Your Torah is sponsored by Yeshivat Maharat, the first institution to ordain women as Orthodox clergy, and where Jofa UK's founder, Dina Brower, is one of 28 students. This June, she will be joining the 19 women already ordained and working in the field of Jewish communal leadership. Shalom, my name is Michal. I am a student at Yeshivat Maharat and currently the Rosh Kehila at Prospect Heights Shul in Brooklyn, New York. Today, we're going to learn together Tractate Bechorot. I'd like to dedicate our learning to my very dear co-students at Yeshivat Maharat, to my kids who work hard to raise me well, to my mom, who would have celebrated yesterday her 90th birthday, and to my very dear Chavruta in Israel. Thank you all. So let's get started. The Tractate of Bechorot is in the order of Kochim, literally meaning holy things, fifth order of the Mishnah. And of the six orders, it is the third longest. Kochim deals largely with the religious service within the temple in Jerusalem, the Korbanot, sacrifices, and other subjects considered related to these holy matters. Bechorot is the fourth tractate, largely focusing on laws relating to firstborns. What's so special about the Bechor, about the firstborn? We can understand it sociologically or psychologically. The firstborn is the watershed between one generation and the next. Until the firstborn is born, the parents are still a young couple, no matter what age they are. They have no responsibilities, and their connection to the future is very different than once they have a firstborn child. That child, in turn, is the younger sibling's link to the older generation. As such, he has special rights and special responsibilities. For us, for our tradition, the firstborn is especially special because of Makat Bechorot, the plague of the firstborn, which was the last plague of the ten plagues in our journey for the Exodus from Egypt. The Torah in the book of Exodus chapter 13, verses 12 and 13, presents three separate situations where certain laws regarding a firstborn might apply. One, a firstborn male, human, that must be redeemed by his father. Two, a firstborn male, kosher animal that is sanctified from birth and is to be sacrificed. And three, a firstborn male donkey that must be exchanged for a lamb. Let's look at these more carefully. The Torah gives a clear explanation for this mitzvah. In the plague of the firstborn in Egypt, God saved the firstborn Hebrews, even as the firstborn Egyptians, both people and animals, were being killed. In commemoration of this event, God has a claim on the firstborn people and animals in Jewish homes, and it is incumbent on the Jewish community to sanctify their own firstborn in his name. 
Therefore, these commandments are part of the ceremonial memorial to the Exodus, even as they serve as examples of those mitzvot whose purpose is to dedicate the first fruit to Hashem, like the Bikurim. In recognition of the Kohanim, of the priest, as God's representatives in the temple, these firstborn are transferred to the Kohanim, to the priests, and are considered part of the set of priestly offerings. These three different types of firstborns share certain similarities. They apply only to males that are the firstborn from their mothers. Their sanctity rests on them from the moment they are born, and they, or their money that redeems them, must be given to a Kohen. Nevertheless, the sanctity of each one differs from the others, and therefore its practical application differs as well. As an unclean, put it in quotation marks, animal, a firstborn donkey cannot have intrinsic sanctity. It cannot be offered as a sacrifice. It is not even given to a Kohen, to a priest. Rather, it is exchanged for a lamb. Once the donkey is redeemed and the lamb is given to the Kohen, the donkey once again is the ordinary possession of the original owner. The Torah teaches that if this exchange is not made, the donkey must be decapitated. This is in Exodus 13.13. The firstborn of a kosher animal, an ox, a sheep, or a goat, stands alone among sacrifices in that it is born with intrinsic sanctity, and it is to be given to the Kohen for sacrifice in the temple immediately following its initial development. If, however, it has a blemish that precludes it from being sacrificed, the Kohen, the priest, can slaughter it and eat it anywhere. Even so, it does not lose its sanctity as a firstborn and could not be used for work or sheared even for wool, just like any other sacrificial animal. As opposed to other sanctified animals that can be redeemed if they develop such a blemish, a b'chor, a firstborn, cannot be redeemed and its kedusha, its holiness, cannot be removed. An ordinary, again in quotations, Jewish firstborn child, as opposed to the firstborn child of a kohen, of a priest or a Levite, also is born in a sanctified state, but all agree that this does not relate to sacrifice or to a prohibition against benefiting from the child. Rather, the sanctity expresses itself in that the father of the firstborn must redeem his son by paying five shekel to a Kohen in exchange for him. Redeeming the firstborn, Pidyon Haben, something we still do today, is obligatory beginning 30 days after the child is born. And the mitzvah, the commandment, is usually performed at that time. While this commandment is usually performed by the father, in the event that the father does not perform it, it is incumbent on the person to redeem himself when he can. As noted, all three types of b'chor, firstborn, are firstborn males that, quote, open the womb of their mothers. Thus, the baby that is born second will not be a b'chor, even if the firstborn was female. This appears to be a clear definition, but questions remain. If the baby is born by means of a C-section, for example, and does not open the womb, is this still a firstborn? If not, will the next baby born be considered a firstborn? 
What is the status of a baby born after a miscarriage? And what is considered to be a miscarriage? These questions are among those dealt with in this tractate. Should be noted that the Torah recognizes another type of a firstborn. While this halacha, this law we just mentioned, relates to a firstborn son of a mother, according to Torah law, the firstborn son of a father will receive a double portion, and that is in Deuteronomy 21, verses 15 to 17. Although oftentimes the child is the firstborn of both mother and father, it is possible that a child may be a firstborn only with regard to the laws of redemption or only with regard to the laws of inheritance. Furthermore, it is possible that a father may have several sons who must be redeemed if he marries a number of women, and a mother may have several sons who will receive a double portion of a firstborn if she is married to a number of different men. This tractate examines both types of firstborn sons and discusses the relationship between them. It might be important here to add possibly another, maybe spiritual reason why we pay so much attention to the firstborn. When we have our first fruit, our first baby lamb, our first baby human, we look at our creation and think, wow, we've done an amazing thing. Look at what we've produced. And the Torah comes back and reminds us that it's not really ours. And our handiwork, things that we create, come in a partnership between us and Hashem. All right, let's look at a few interesting insights in the Mishnah itself. The Mishnah states, that which comes from something which is tameh, not kosher, is tameh. And that which comes from something that is tahor, kosher or pure or clean, is also tahor. So therefore, we understand that the product of a non-kosher animal is not kosher. The question that is being raised here is, why is bee honey kosher? The Talmud in the same tractate quotes a Baraita, a halachic teaching from the time of the Mishnah. That teaching says, why did they say that bee honey is permitted? Because even though they bring it into their bodies, i.e. the bees bring the nectar into their bodies, it is not a product of their bodies. It is stored there, but not produced there. All the sages of the Mishnah agree with this ruling. One of them, however, Rabbi Yaakov, disagrees with the reasoning. He claims that Bihani is kosher based on his interpretation of Leviticus 11.21. According to him, the verse prohibits one to eat a flying insect, but not that which is excreted from it, i.e. honey would be permitted. You may wonder, how could one even think that bee honey is not kosher? The Torah refers to the land of Israel as a land flowing with milk and honey. Certainly, the Torah would not choose a non-kosher product as a means for describing the beauty of the land of Israel. So it might be surprising, but the honey in that term, milk and honey, is not really bee honey. Instead, it is referring to date honey, the sweetness of dates that grow in the land of Israel. Another question that might be interesting to explore here is, what's with the donkey? Why does the Mishnah 
open with the matter of a firstborn donkey and not with a pure animal or a human. There are a number of explanations, but one that is interesting is a Midrash. And the Midrash tells us that the donkeys helped the children of Israel during their exodus from Egypt. In fact, it tells us the Midrash, each one from the children of Israel had no more and no less than 90 Libyan donkeys. And they were loaded with silver and gold from the Egyptians. Because the donkeys were helpful to the Jewish people in their exodus from Egypt, they also merited to have this mitzvah, this commandment of Peter Chamor, of the firstborn donkey. Last, but definitely not least, is a fabulous story that appears in this tractate. In the Talmud, on page 8, we find a legend about Savei de Bey Atuna, the sages or elders of Atuna, seemingly reminding us of the modern Hebrew word for Athens, but a mysterious closed cult that we don't really know where they lived. And in the story before us, Rabbi Yoshua ben Hanania is going to debate with Savei de Atuna, with the sages of Atuna. On the surface, it is a legend or a lore with fun questions and codes which Rabbi Yoshua is going to try to duck. But underneath, it really tries to discuss what is the place of Israel in the world after the destruction and especially facing Rome's success. This is part of the Mishnah that talks about a non-kosher animal swallowing a kosher animal. What is the deen, what is the judgment of that kosher animal that was swallowed by a non-kosher animal? Does it get the status of the non-kosher animal or does it maintain its own identity inside the belly of the non-kosher animal? And true, while we might be talking about fish and animals, we're also talking about the Jewish people living inside the, quote, belly of the Roman Empire and asking ourselves the question, are we going to be able to maintain our identity even inside the belly of the non-kosher fish, the belly of the big Roman Empire? And another reason why this story is here, there's something unique about the holiness of the firstborn. This holiness is created in the womb of the mother. In fact, nobody needs to do anything in order for a bechol, for a firstborn, to have this status of holiness. The firstborn are holy from themselves, from the womb. This element reflects something very core to the existence of the Jewish people. It's a human reality, which was not created solely by a human being. It just came out of a womb, sort of a deed of the father of the world, the Holy One, blessed be he. This is very, very important also in this core discussion, theological discussion, between Saveib the Beyatuna, the elders of Atuna, and stands in the center of these 12 riddles that are going to be now presented 
to Rabbi Yoshua ben Chanina. What we're really asking is, who is the firstborn of Rebecca, the wife of Isaac, of Yitzchak? Is it Esav, the forefather of the Edomites, who are the forefathers of Rome? Or is it Jacob, the forefather of the Jewish people? The discussion between Savei de Beyatuna, the sages, and Rabbi Yoshua ben Chanina is fascinating. When you get a chance, I highly recommend opening the Gemara to page 8 in Masechet Bechorot and checking out the questions and the answers and seeking the symbolism underneath the symbolism that speaks to our identity and existence in the world still today. Thank you for learning together and have a wonderful day. This episode of Your Torah is brought to you by Jofa UK, in collaboration with women from around the world who all share a passion for Torah study. If you are enjoying Your Torah, consider sponsoring an episode. Find out more by visiting ukjova.org. Join the conversation on social media using the hashtag YourTorah.